Good day. You're listening to Free City Radio. This is the 182nd edition of the program. Thanks for tuning in. On the broadcast this week, we will continue our series looking at a campaign locally in Montreal that was organized by the Immigrant Workers Centre that focused on supporting garment workers in Montreal's garment district around the company Lamour. This was a campaign that took place between 2006, 7, and 8, and it focused on addressing the concerns and demands of textile workers as their industry was being shipped abroad. Uh, the jobs were being outsourced to locations in the global south to a context where corporations like Lamour, this garment industry um, company that is based in Montreal, Canada could more deeply exploit workers. For this series, I worked with Lauren Laframboise, who is involved with a project called Deindustrialization and the Politics of Our Time that is based at Concordia University in the History Department. And this is an initiative that is looking at uh, the impacts of deindustrialization and also this series of interviews is trying to highlight the ways that workers are organizing to demand justice in the context of a very specific case of deindustrialization in Montreal's garment district, which is located along Chabonel Street. So for this series, we spoke to members of the Immigrant Workers Centre about the organizing work that they were involved in, in collaboration with garment sector workers. On the broadcast this week, we will hear from Yumana Siddiqui, who is a board member of the Immigrant Workers Centre and was involved in the campaign to support Lamour workers, which is the focus of this interview series. So I will go directly to that interview here on Free City Radio. What was really striking was that the workers were most, I mean, almost all immigrants, but immigrants from all over the world. So from South Asia, Eastern Europe, North Africa, other parts of the Middle East, Latin America. So it was a very, very diverse immigrant sort of labor force. And some of them had been working there for a very long time. I mean, I was sort of rereading some of the articles and the notes, and it said that people have been working there for as long as 20 years. I personally remember somebody, a woman who was from Eastern Europe, who talked about how she'd worked there for 17 years. Yeah, so people had been working there for a very long time. And the other thing I would say is that they took a lot of pride in their work, you know, I mean, as the campaign kind of formed, the sense one got was that this was not only a question of, you know, being essentially not paid as they should have been, not getting any kind of severance, um, being suddenly, you know, dismissed, but also that a lot of this work was skilled work. They had been working for a very long time and that they they felt that, you know, they and their work was just not valued. That really came across when one talked to people. So we, you know, would go up to Chabanel and Leaflet um, 
as we often do, trying to time our leafleting with the work shifts and trying to catch people as they walked from the buildings where they were working to bus stops, mostly in that area. And that's how the kind of word of our organizing got around. And I, I remember I, at one point, we were trying to figure out how to get in and find out more about what was going on. So I pretended I was a, a worker and didn't achieve very much. You know, the person just said, you know, give me your CV. What was happening, there were a number of things that were happening. So people were being laid off without any much advance notice and without any, uh, you know, severance pay. But also they were being laid off in sort of dribbles so that this couldn't be, I mean, basically the company, Lamour was doing this to basically circumvent the law which required that they compensate workers. And the other thing they were doing was that they had actually got a kind of, they, had, they were operating with multiple, at least two different company numbers. Mm-hmm. So, um, so on paper, it you know, looked as though these were different businesses, even though they were in the same place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so these were different. I mean, so it was very deliberate, these attempts by the company to, you know, not compensate people according to the law. So the campaign began, and the working conditions, as I said, people took a lot of pride in their work. There are a few things that came up, and as I was rereading some of the articles, I recall that people talked about this. Uh, They had actually, the company had basically, there was a union, but it seemed to be a union that had been kind of seeded by the company and was serving the company's interests. And the other thing was that people, people were working day and night shifts, and they also talked about being locked into the building at night for the night shifts and about not being able to get out. Um, so that was something that they wanted addressed. They were very upset about. They also talked about the irony of the fact that they were actually packing up their machines and that they were being sent. And they were themselves from India, Bangladesh, Pakistan. And they were being sent to the places, I guess, to Lamu's, you know, um, production. They had moved their production to South Asia and China. So the, so the same machines were going there. So... Initially, the campaign sort of began, and what was, I would say, again, impressive was that not only did you have a whole, uh, you know, a whole kind of very broad and very diverse uh, group of workers at Lamour, but a very diverse group of workers who then joined the campaign. And at its height, um, I think, I mean, Moose would know because he was responsible for this. He would ring people up personally and try to get them to come. Um, I think there were as many as about 60 people coming to meetings, which was incredible. Um, 
I, so, so there were meetings at which people kind of explained their rights, tried to come up with strategies. I think the workers were also invited. I mean, every now and then the Immigrant Workers Center has kind of cultural events. So I think they were, there was an attempt to try to include them in the center's activities. Um, the center is also, I would say, and this is different from other places that I volunteered, has been very proactive about uh, building leadership among workers. And so they were consciously trying to do that. And I remember, for example, Gurvinder, I don't know if you know Gurvinder, but anyway, she she was um, a woman from Punjab who uh, was not only working at Lamour and had been laid off, but then was actually kind of pretty active in recruiting other people. So that was happening. As I recall, some people then were actually assisted in filling out claims for compensation. And I, I remember, you know, people trying to help fill out those forms. There were restrictions on who could claim compensation. And I and so not all not everybody was able to. But then the other thing I recall happening was that it was pushed then to local government levels. They were, you know, organizers were contacting local politicians. And oh, because one of the issues also was retraining and placement in other occupations. And so Quebec had a program for the retraining of, um, I think, workers in the forestry. And they were trying to get some of the actual government funds for this retraining. Um, they were trying to have them authorized for use to retrain some of the workers. So there was also a push to do that. You pointed in a lot of directions here. So thank you for that. Um, I think there's often not a clear understanding of, you know, there's a concern, let's say, of a few workers that are expressing um, what's going down. You know, we're facing layoffs, we want to get organized, how to make a connection with a space, right? It's not simple. You mentioned the flyering, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a very a social aspect to that and a conversational aspect. Um, and all of this is happening outside of the big unions, right? Yes. Um, so it'd be really, I think, interesting for people to hear if you have any memories of like, how did flyering go or when you would speak with the workers? Because I remember that you would um, that you were uh, also having conversations with some of the people who had worked yes. at Lemoore. How was that sort of social element? Yeah, and most of the conversations I had at least were at the, the meetings, not when we were flyering because when people when you hand out flyers people are usually in a rush to get home yeah, after a long so basically we one goes through the spiel of saying you know what we're doing and and yeah. trying to get people to then contact the center but but there were longer conversations at the meetings and these meetings i mean i i remember one at least was um at the William Hingston Center. They were in community spaces. Um, in yeah, that one was in Park Extension. And I remember it well because Gurvinder was there. And then she basically 
as we were leaving, she kind of invited us into the Gurudwara, which is just across the road. And so we then went and had lunch there. Um, so I would say that, yeah, this was happening outside the unions, but maybe um, the, it was actually having it happening in community spaces, which mm. me, makes it sort of embedded in a way in, in certain communities. I, from what I remember, they also had a meeting um, at, at the there's in Cote de Neige across from the plaza. There is, um, again, a kind of community center. So I remember um, we met there. How was the social space in those meetings? Okay. Like when you like, do you have memories of not any, not necessarily the specifics of the conversation, but yeah, like? Well, well, I mean, what one is what is really striking is it's very multilingual, very multi generational, mm -hmm. very diverse. Mm -hmm. um, I was speaking in English, but I was also speaking in Hindi to some extent. A lot of people were speaking in French, but there were also people, as I said, from Eastern Europe. So. Um, it's curious because in a way the, the Immigrant Workers Center has now sort of organized somewhat along specific community and linguistic lines. But this was really a very sharp contrast to that. That is, it was very diverse. Um, and then, you know, this is uh, the experience I've this is not the only time I've had this experience. When is one is involved in a community organization, particularly around labor issues, people very much want to tell their stories and and want to share their sense, their grief, sense of grievance and injustice. Mm -hmm. I didn't interview people individually. I've done that later at the Immigrant Workers Center. So I, I can't say that this came out in detail in interviews, but that was my sense of conversations one had in, in community spaces. I really appreciate everything that you've laid out. Thank you so much. Um, so I think just getting a social sense of, of um, what was going down, it's like we're zooming in on like a very specific locale or like a, you know, context, but this is happening in a, a big context. Yes. Right. And yes. I think that's also like one of the things that we were really excited to, to hear your perspective about was like seeing this very localized situation, but from uh, also understanding that it's taking place, not in the vacuum. The garment industry I mean, a very large percentage of the garment industry was centered in Montreal. I don't remember exactly what, 50%, 55%? Yeah, within the Canadian context. Um, so one, one did have the sense that, that this was a, you know, something that was particularly devastating for the economy of the Montreal region. Uh, this particular shift. Um, and in terms of the kind of global implications of this, I mean, I, I happen to know because I'm from India that, you know, a lot of the sort of sweatshop work is now done in India. Mm -hmm. um, people have worked on this. There's a lot of research on this. 
The other sort of larger context is that, I mean, Quebec has the highest rate of unionization in North America, something like 30%, I think. But what was also clear was that the the unions were not Mm -hmm. particularly attentive to the needs of immigrant workers. That, again, has changed pretty drastically in the time that I volunteered at the Immigrant Workers Center. So now there are several kind of union, you know, people who are union leaders uh, who are members of the board at the Immigrant Workers Center, unions regularly, I mean, they consistently support the Immigrant Workers Center with funds. Because the other thing about the Immigrant Workers Center is that every, we... Every time we had a board meeting, we would basically, we would learn that, you know, the center could only keep its doors open for another two months. I mean, it was just constantly in crisis because, and there was no sustained funding for the center. Um, it also didn't have nonprofit status. And what that meant was that it was not eligible for certain um, government support so for example Centred. so that so for example the south asian women's community center which was set up a long time ago now i mean it was set up i think in the late 70s early 80s had been funded by Centred from the beginning and it just felt very different i mean at any one time there were you know five or six women who were employed there full-time. They had an office right, you know, just next to the police station on Rochelle across from La Fontaine Park. The Immigrant Workers Center was really operating on a shoestring. A lot of the people, you know, were barely making ends meet. The the organizers, uh, it relied a lot on the help of volunteers and when I joined it was there was a very small office on Victoria Uh, after a few years it moved to where it is now which is a much larger office but you know just the whole question of paying rent was touch and go so um so it was fulfilling I mean it was you know addressing the needs of this very large you know, um, working population that wasn't being, um, you know, I mean, advocated for or protected, really. Um, And, but at the same time, the kind of the resources that were available for this were really pretty minimal. Uh, That, that, that was another paradox. Um, that, you know, the unions weren't supporting it. There wasn't government funding for this. And in Middlebury, I mean, uh, you know, the IWC wanted to be free of any kind of government control. I mean, it, it is an NGO, but it wasn't even getting grants indirectly from the government. Um, so that was part of the larger context in which it was operating. And I would say that for a long time, I mean, it's changed now. Now there's much more steady support. I think Eric told me just a, a week ago that Centred is finally funding the IWC, which is, I mean, that's a very far cry from what things were like. 
Um, but at the time, it really was running on almost no money, a huge amount of commitment and effort uh, of a few organizers, and then the commitment of workers who were, you know, involved in these campaigns. Um, so you talked about like workers that were working there for like 17 years, these types of things, and, you know, taking a lot of pride in their work. And I'm wondering if you can reflect on like, the labor market sort of implications for this. So um, immigrant workers that, you know, have been working there for a very long time, you know, some people can be bridged to retirement, but others, um, you know, need to find other work. So I'm wondering if you can reflect on that kind of what came after. That was a big issue. So typically the kind of work that people were doing were, for example, pressing, um, you know, actually sewing, cutting, and people did say that they, you know, this is what they'd been doing for, you know, 17, 20 years, and it hadn't really equipped them for a a shift in their employment. And so one of the things that they were pushing for was was retraining. They found that they might be able to use this, you know, money that was really for rural Quebec for sort of um, workers who had been working in the forestry and had been laid off from that, how they thought that that money could then be kind of channeled towards the needs of immigrant workers in urban areas. Um, And and yeah, so there, there was a lot of concern about retraining. Maybe you can talk about the IWC's role in this kind of changing labor market. So, um, because it, it represents like a broader process of economic restructuring, right? Yes. Where economies move from manufacturing economies to service-based economies, all of these things. So um, I guess like what's the IWC's role in this sort of process? And yeah, how does this maybe represent like a broader sort of like structural injustice where immigrant workers are perhaps like funneled into increasingly lower wage sort of sectors Mm -hmm. and things like that? Well, I would say a couple of things about that. So now I would say, I'm sure you know this, um, or maybe you don't, but um, subsequently, two of the main campaigns were um, around agency workers because essentially workers were being hired out through temp agencies. And as you say, this is kind of badly paid, often quite dangerous service work. So for example, Dollarama, I mean, a a lot of warehouse work. So one did have this kind of low-end service work of a kind. I mean, basically, and a lot of the manufactured goods that were being sold, for example, at Dollarama um, are coming from China and elsewhere. But what was also happening was that you had a kind of new kinds of of employment structures that actually made it easier for regulations to be circumvented. And so then the Immigrant Workers Center pushed very hard uh, with some success uh, because the government has taken this up to regulate agencies. And I mean, I can tell you the kinds of things that used to come up, non-payment of wages, health and safety 
violations, a very high rate of injury. So this is what was happening in these workplaces. But what was also happening was that these agencies would were very fly-by-night. Um, and often they were run by immigrants. And so other immigrants were kind of channeled towards them. Um, and and they would open up and then and then close. And so it was very hard to actually, you know, pursue employers for compensation. So I, I would say that is part of the process, part of this, as you say, it's not only deindustrialization here, but it's a kind of a deregulation and outsourcing, really, that's what it is. That was a conversation with Yumana Siddiqui, who is a board member of the Immigrant Workers Centre in Montreal. This interview series is taking place to highlight a campaign for workplace justice that focused on immigrant workers in the context of the shipping and outsourcing of jobs by Lamour, which is a garment sector industry company based in Montreal, who between 2006, 7 and 8 shipped industry jobs to the global south and workers organized for just compensation. And their struggle really spoke to the decimation of the garment sector and how that impacted immigrant workers in Montreal. This series takes place in collaboration with uh, Lauren Laframboise, who works with Deindustrialization and the Politics of Our Time, DEPO, which is based at Concordia University in Montreal. You can find more information about this series and that project at deindustrialization.org. This has been another edition of Free City Radio. I host and produce the program. My name is Stefan Christoph, and we air on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal at 11 a.m. on Wednesdays, on CGLO 1690 a.m., also in GeoGeoge, Montreal, on Tuesdays at 1 p.m., on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg at 10.30 p.m. on Tuesdays, on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at 11.30 a.m. on Wednesdays, on CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria, B.C. on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. and Saturdays at 7 a.m., on Met Radio 12.90 a.m. in Toronto at 5.30 a.m. on Fridays, and now on CKCU 93.1 FM in Ottawa on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. You can find our archives at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. We are also a podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Look us up, Free City Radio, and please tell a friend. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will speak to you next week. <laughs>